Welcome to the BizTimes MKE podcast and weekly debrief. I'm Arthur Thomas, Managing Editor at BizTimes Media, and I'm joined on the weekly debrief, as always, by BizTimes Editor Andrew Wyland. Andrew, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Hanging in there? <laughs> I don't know what else to say, but pretty good. Hanging there. New Year's off to a good start. Let's uh, let's dive right in. We have our Insider Story Spotlight. That's how we start the weekly debrief each week. It's a chance for us to highlight some of the stories that were available only to BizTimes Insiders. If you are already an insider, thank you very much. We really do appreciate that support. It helps make our work possible. If you're not an insider, please consider subscribing. It'll get you access to all of our stories on our website, discounted admission to some of our events and other benefits. So please consider it the equivalent of $9 a month. We'll get you that. Andrew, what is your insider story spotlight this week? I'm choosing a story, um, interesting story about the downtown Milwaukee office landscape story we broke about CBRE moving its Milwaukee office to the BMO Tower. CBRE has long been uh, located at the U.S. Bank Center, the tallest office building in downtown Milwaukee. BMO Tower is like the new kid on the block. Uh, Building to open in 2020 in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, a heck of a time uh, <laughs> yeah. to open a new office building. Ergens, or Ergens is the developer behind BMO Tower, and they've had some success, despite a very challenged office market right now, they've had some success in attracting tenants from other buildings, which you often see the new building attracts tenants from the old buildings, and um, this is the latest example. And I think what's interesting about it is CBRE is a real estate company. They're a gigantic international real estate company based in Dallas. This is their Milwaukee office. They've been in the U.S. Bank Center for many, many years. Prior to that, it was known as the Polichek Company, which was a Milwaukee company that CBRE acquired. And they were in that building for many years. So interesting to see a real estate company decide to move their office. I think that makes an interesting statement about okay, where the, the office market is in downtown Milwaukee now, that BMO Tower um, is having success as like the go-to location and older buildings. You know, another one in particular, you look at 100 East, which lost Michael Best to BMO Tower. And 100 East is in receivership, has been for quite a while now. Uh, we're still waiting for that to play out. But U.S. Bank Center has long been the premier office building downtown. It's still the tallest building, but it's 50 years old, competing with a building that is three years old, and they lost a tenant. Um, so I think that's just a lot of interesting things to think about what's what's happening there. Yeah. Do you have any sense if that the that success is a function of the BMO Tower is a, a new building, new amenities, you know, everything's fresh? versus they're trying to get established and get filled up in a challenged office market and maybe the deals are a little more attractive for tenants than where someone's at already. Do you have us any sense of of what's what's driving that or or not really? I'm not sure, but I, I would guess it's the amenities. You know, it's you know all, all the amenities the new building has um, just the nicest facilities all the way around compared to a, a 50 year old. While 
U.S. Bank Center is still a great building. It's still very well taken care of. Um, there are just things that a brand new building with the latest and greatest technologies all throughout of it that it has. And so I think that makes it more competitive. You know, I don't know what lease rates are being offered by Ergens, but, you know, it's expensive to build a new building. And I'm sure they want to fill it. And maybe they're offering some interesting deals, but at the same time, they can't, uh, they can't lowball themselves. You know, they have to pay for this, this building. So that's a good question. Uh, but I would, I would guess it's the amenities that's the, that's the, the key. Yeah. Uh, my insider story spotlight, uh, is one, um, Ashley Smart wrote, um, here on Friday, January 20th, um, reporting that Clements and Milwaukee World Festival, the entity behind Summerfest, are ending their sponsorship agreement. Um, Ashley's been following this over the last uh, several weeks. Um, there's a, a lawsuit that uh, Summerfest filed, or Milwaukee World Festival, filed in late December, alleging that Clements had breached their sponsorship agreement. Um, they signed on as a sponsor a few years back. Um, created a, a kind of a beer garden area kind of towards the northern end of the grounds um, and uh, kind of had a new a new presence at Summerfest. Um, there's allegation that they had weren't basically paying um, up on it. Uh, and it sometimes happens in the legal process. Um, once the, the lawsuits start filing, um, Things things sorted out, and suddenly they today announced they have mutually agreed to part ways in an amicable fashion. No, no, uh, the lawsuit's been withdrawn, and Clements will no longer be a, a sponsor there. It was an interesting thing because it was just a few years ago was a, a, that they signed on. It was a big deal for them. It came, I think, right on the heels of. Um, Johnsonville replacing Clements as the sponsor of the racing sausages uh, for the brewers. Um, and so it was like this, you know, they suffered this loss of one thing and they quickly found, you know, a couple other ways to be involved in the community. And here we are just a few years later and at least one of those things is no more. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's surprising to see that arrangement fall apart the way it did it leaves, you know, Summerfest now has to replace that sponsorship at that particular stage. It'll be interesting to see what direction they go with that. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, that was a very surprising turn uh, in that to see that partnership sour. Let's uh, switch over to our big stories of the week, and we're going to have two of them uh, for you this week. First up, uh, we're going to continue our trend of discussing Harley-Davidson because Harley-Davidson keeps making news. Um, this week, they announced their plans or some of the initial plans for their 120th anniversary uh, celebration, the Harley Homecoming Festival, which will this year be taking place July 13th to July 16th, uh, which is a little earlier, I think, than Typically, the Harley Homecoming Festival is held. That's usually held kind of around Labor Day. Um, so this time they're backing up to July. Uh, but I suppose the big news is 
the headlining acts for it. Uh, they announced the Foo Fighters and Green Day will headline. Foo Fighters will be Saturday, July 15th, and uh, Green Day will be on July 14th, the Friday concerts at Veterans Park. So uh, big names for them to be getting. I think if I remember correctly, if we look back at the 115th in 2018, they didn't really have that kind of headlining act or those kinds of headlining acts um, in the, in the same way. And it, the Harley seems to be making a point to really throw a big, a big celebration this time, this time around um, compared to a few years ago. Well, I mean, it's always a big celebration every five years that they've, they've done these, you know, huge numbers of people come into town, fill every hotel room in, in, in the region. But yeah, these are big names. Um, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. So when I hear Foo Fighters and I hear Green Day, I'm excited. So I don't know how other people are responding to this, but my demographic, <laughs> these are very attractive bands and I'd, I'd love to go see these shows. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, you know, when you think about the Gen X appeal to me, it kind of shows is Harley focusing more on a younger, we're moving past the baby boomers now to, to, to bands that are more Gen X period. I think that's interesting. The other thing, of course, is everyone remembers how Harley handled this whole uh, headlining act situation with their 100th anniversary celebration in Milwaukee in 2003. Of course, the 100th being the big round number that it is, they hyped it with a mystery headliner. They didn't tell the world who it was going to be. Some It was going to be someone spectacular. And but they didn't say is they come to the show and it'll be you'll be surprised to see who takes the stage. Well, that led to months and months and months of wild speculation over who it was going to be. I think some people were thinking it'd be Aerosmith or maybe Bruce Springsteen or all kinds of other big names were thrown out there. And it turned out to be Elton John, who, you know, is a rock icon, a, a legend and pop culture but you know for the harley crowd it didn't go over so well there was a lot of booing and people who left the show this disappointed so you know i think whether you like elton john or not and there are a lot of people who do like elton john um but the idea of let's have a mystery headliner and let it let the hype kind of get out of control and then it just got too big. It was like almost impossible to live up to the hype and people were bound to be disappointed when it wasn't who they hoped it would be. So here they are letting us know they got two big acts or letting us know who they are. And they're great bands with a lot of appeal, especially to us Gen Xers. <laughs> yeah. The interesting other uh, interesting element of uh, the concerts being at Veterans Park. I do remember yeah. from the 2018 event and having everyone kind of down there at veterans park um i think we had a bunch of rain around that and it was a little bit uh muddy and um you know <laughs> it took a little extra effort to to traipse around through there i was down there covering it and taking some photos and things like that um so hopefully we get good weather um hopefully it's a, a good environment and certainly exciting i mean imagine having it there is to accommodate I mean, the other logical place to have it would be the Summerfest grounds at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater. But I imagine having it at Veterans Park is to get more people to this thing. 
Yeah. More than what the amphitheater could accommodate. Yeah, certainly. Um, let's move on to our other uh, big story of the week. Um, kind of interesting one. Um, the Wisconsin Policy Forum put out a report um, taking a really kind of detailed look at the construction workforce pipeline um, in Metro Milwaukee. Um, construction is one of those sectors where we hear the constant refrain of difficulty hiring, difficulty finding workers. Um, you hear, you know, people lamenting that people don't want to go into uh, construction trades anymore. And this is a really interesting kind of report that that uh, dug into some of the data. And as they put it, they found really kind of a mixed picture. I mean, if it's a, it certainly is a tight labor market for the construction workforce, which is probably you know, good for workers in terms of wages and job security and things like that. Also, pretty strong pipeline of projects and big projects at that. They identified 21 projects um, in the region valued at $50 million or more. Um, those all combined add up to more than $3 billion in development um, ongoing. And you have, that's why, that's why you have this need for, for construction workers. But one of the things, a couple of interesting elements, uh, total number of hours worked by union construction workers. Um, they relied on some of the pension fund data for this up 19.9% from 2012 to 2021. So a sharp increase in hours worked, uh, but the number of workers is only up 3.2%. So people are getting a lot more hours um, in, um, which is, you know, like I said, good, but also probably getting getting to the upper limits of what what can be done reasonably if you're pushing people that far. Another interesting piece, enrollment in apprenticeships in Metro Milwaukee um, from around 1,200 apprentices in 2012 to now more than 3,000. Um, there's a lot of growth in apprenticeships that took place between 2013 and 2019. Saw a little dip with the pandemic and then it's picked back up in the last year or so. But you know, that's an overall number as they kind of looked at some of the individual unions. There's at least five unions, the um, glazers, the tile setters, roofers, bricklayers, and iron workers that have seen apprenticeships decline by at least 17% in the last five years. So depends on the, 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 the trade that you're in, um, whether you're seeing good progress or not. One final bit was the, uh, the pipeline for workers the Residence Preference Program, which is a program that um, aims to get Milwaukee residents into the construction um, field. And a lot of the projects, a lot of projects we talk about here on Weekly Debrief, um, if you're supported by the city in some way, you'll have a requirement that a certain number of hours be worked by RPP workers. And this report found that there have been more than 8,700 workers certified in that RPP program since 2012, um, including more than a thousand a year per year, um, from 2014 to 2018. So, um, and they had some suggestions maybe of how, how the city might tweak the program to, to make it a little bit better and, and give contractors a little better understanding of who's available. But I think there's some, some interesting signs of, of some traction and some success in attracting people to the construction field. Um, which is an area that, like I said at the start, it's one of those fields where people are always lamenting the the difficulty in finding workers. Yeah, and I think that difficulty 
harken back to the Great Recession, really, where I think we saw, you know, you had a, you had a housing bubble and a, and a terrible economy and construction projects on a lot of levels drying up. And so unemployment just skyrocketed in that particular sector. And there were a lot of people who left that left that industry, workers, and never came back to it. And so when when that um when that market rebounded and we started building things again, ever since then it's been a hard it's been a big challenge to find enough workers and to bring workers back into the construction trades. And we've talked a lot about um parents kind of pushing their kids into four-year degrees which is fine if that's a good fit for you but sometimes it's not a good fit and there are great career opportunities in the trades and 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 people are needed so it has been a years-long push to address that and like you say it's good to see some progress there um it's also just good to see you know, a report that says that construction activity is healthy. You know, I think there's some, there's, I, I'm wondering if that will continue or if we're going to see that really slow down with, you know, the interest rate increases, increasing borrowing costs. Is that going to make building projects harder to do? And is that going to kind of cool that down? Because right now, yeah, you drive around town, you see a lot of, construction cranes you see a lot of activity there are some big projects going on and that's great but what's coming down the road we have a story coming up in our our economic trends issue our january 23rd issue that looks into that and does talk about how it's kind of a mixed bag with the construction industry some firms are feeling very good about their outlook that especially those that are doing you know, government projects, projects for school districts and stuff, schools that are uh, past referendums to expand their schools or build new schools. Companies are doing a lot of that work. I still feel pretty good because there's a lot of that still going on. But I think in some other areas, there's concerns that things are going to slow down and um, speculative development in particular will probably, you know, there's projections that that, that may be drying up um going forward with just anticipations of a recession and higher borrowing costs yeah absolutely yeah Cara Spoto had that story and like you said it's our January 23rd issue will be out on Monday so if folks are interested in learning a little more check that out she did kind of walk through schools hospitals as one sector industrial office multifamily walks through all the different sectors um so a good outlook there uh, elsewhere in that issue, we have stories on the uh, events business, the work, you know, some workforce reports, manufacturing, and kind of a macro economy look. So lots of food for thought as we try to figure out where we're going in 2023 um, in our next issue. Yep, that's our annual economic trends report, which which does that and uh, is paired with our economic trends event next week, where we hope you will come and learn about. What to expect in 2023. Absolutely. Yes, please do come join us and come say hi if you're there. If we'd love to have you. If you're not able to make it, well, we'll talk to you next week 
on the BizTimes MKE podcast and the weekly debrief. Andrew, thanks for joining me as always. You bet. This is Dan Meyer with BizTimes Media. You've been listening to the BizTimes MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, BizTimes Milwaukee.